On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Chuck Hawley, and you're listening to The Devil's Music with Pleasant Gaiman. Pantheon Podcast presents from Hollywood, California, The Devil's Music with Pleasant Gaiman. You are invited to join the Hollywood princess as she explores her lifelong pursuits in the occult, sex, love, and that sinful rock and roll. Ladies and gentlemen, step into the dark parlor of Pleasant Gaiman as she brings you the devil's music. Hey there, this is Pleasant Gaiman, and you're listening to The Devil's Music, a Pantheon podcast. A little bit about me. I'm a punk rock witch from Hollywood, California. I've had a lifelong passion for rock and roll and the occult that started when I was a preteen. In the 70s, I was one of the first punks in L.A., and as a teenager, I worked at the Whiskey A Go-Go, started producing shows, and made a Xerox fanzine called Lobotomy, which led me to write for every major rock publication you could think of. In the 80s and the 90s, I fronted three bands. I'm a best-selling author with eight books out and more on the way. For the past 30 years, I've toured around the globe to teach and perform dance. You might have also seen me acting or dancing in music videos, feature films, and documentaries. Look for me in the new Go-Go's documentary. To find out more about me or to book a tarot reading, go to my website, pleasantgaiman.com. I'm really excited to be part of the Pantheon Podcasts network of rock and roll shows. Everyone here at Pantheon tells stories about the music we just adore so much, each and every one with a different twist. Find them all wherever you listen to podcasts at Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Pandora, anywhere you get your favorite podcast fix. And head on over to PantheonPodcast.com to share a show with a friend. Or be damned to purgatory forever. Bought a rubber in the truck stop bathroom. Cause I need your love so desperately For after all, this is a Saturday And the walls set for a good time Called Driftwood 4020 Hi, this is Pleasant Gaiman, and you're listening to The Devil's Music. Today, my guest is Jeff Smith the amazing singer and co-founder of the absolutely incredible and infamous Texas cowpunk band, The Hickoids, who've now been around for almost 40 years, which is very unbelievable to me. In the 80s, when my own band, The Screaming Sirens, were touring all over North America, 
we kept hearing really wild stories about the Hickoids, but I'm here to tell you that's absolutely nothing compared to what they were like in real life um, and probably still are like. And they're going on tour so you can see them very soon if they're coming to a place near you. Anyway, it's my profound pleasure to introduce the Thin White Duke of Hazard, the undisputed king of hardcore corn, and the queen of the barbecue himself, Jeff Smith. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Pleasant. Thanks so much for having me on. Wow, oh, it's it's going to be great to have you on because I'm sure there's people listening that have been longtime Hickoids fans, but... Um, for people that don't know who you are, they're going to hear, <laughs> hear outrageous stories and shit, and it's just going to be great. Um, so why don't we start like where, um, like how you how you formed a band originally, and then we can get into, you know, some of the stories about like, you know, the early days. Bad the behavior. Days. But, uh... yeah. What do you say, <laughs> Sammy Hagar? <laughs> Now the bad behavior. Oh. <laughs> I was like, what does Sammy Hagar have? Yeah, Sammy, Sammy Hagar, Hagar has no place. Sammy yeah. Hagar has no place in this. But uh... <laughs> really, you guys, I'm apologizing to the audience. Maybe we should start <laughs> over on, on a better foot. Uh, that's appropriate. It's uh that's that's not unlike the Hickoids career itself. So uh <laughs> So uh, the band started uh, uh, gestating in 1983. I was playing in a kind of a porno punk band called the Bang Gang uh, out of San Antonio, and I but I was living in Austin, and I had started hanging around with jukebox, and so we'd eat mushrooms and drink beer and go to shows and. Uh, we had become pretty good friends, but I'd never really knew that he played guitar. And then he kept on telling me he wanted to start a band with me. And, and he said, I play guitar. And I kind of didn't believe him because, you know, he was always full of tall tales. And, and, uh, but then he sat down one day and he started playing this guitar and then he bought a Mustang. And I was like, wow, that's, that's incredible. He didn't play like anybody else around and, uh, very, uh Jimi Hendrix influence style whammy you know whammy bar style kind of thing but also could play country licks as well and uh so we began writing songs in earnest kind of uh trying to maybe do I, I think our original mission statement was Gary Stewart meets Black Flag or something like that, <laughs> which of course was not possible. But, uh, um, but anyway, so that was that was kind of the beginning, and then we started rehearsing at a place called the Oaf House in San Antonio. It was an old or in Austin, excuse me, as old frat house in West Campus, and somebody had found some Greek letters and put OAF on the front of it. And it was, so we called it the Oaf house and uh, a lot. It was kind of a punk rock flop house. Wait, I was, I was there, right? At that house. 
Or was oh, it, or was it Jukebox's house? Because you guys, I have to tell you that the Hickoid house that I went to, um, I think it was where Jukebox was living at that time. Um, but anytime I walked into your house, like on all different tours or when, you know, not your house near the deaf school, but that the other one. So maybe it was Jukebox's. Every fucking time I walked in there and they didn't have cable, the only thing that was ever on television was either Petticoat Junction, Green Acres, The Real McCoys, Mr. Ed, and the Beverly Hillbillies. I'm not making it up. I mean, maybe that was just the Austin like television stations, which was very different from what was playing on regular TV in LA. But I felt like like there was like a like an alien craft beaming down like satellites of these horrifying hickoid-ish kind of shows and then I was like wondering like what came first like the band's aesthetic or these shows and like why is it well we, we were we were heavily influenced by the Paul Henning barnyard comedies you know? <laughs> barnyard comedies uh yeah actually one this is an aside but one Monday afternoon or Monday morning. Yeah, I think it was some kind of three-day weekend. We'd been playing in Dallas and we were sitting around the Loco Gringo's house and they picked up Monday to change up the TV schedule and the Hillbillies were supposed to be on at half past nine. And they they moved them to an hour later in the schedule or they took them off the schedule. I don't remember which, but so we all called down to the, the, the TV station. There's like 15 people waiting around the Loco Gringo's house to watch the Beverly Hillbillies <laughs> on, on on Monday morning, you know, after a, a rock and roll weekend, you know, and we'd probably been awake, you know, since Friday morning. And, yeah. and so we were all, we had like a, our own call center going on, one after the other calling the station manager saying, you can't move the Hillbillies around like that. Was was this on landlines? It was yeah. on landlines, right? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely on landlines. <laughs> and you guys were like all hung over and fucked up. <laughs> yeah, of course. Oh my god. That's really good. That is really, really good. Um and I remember like also, like, I don't even know, this was probably like around eighty, eighty-five or something. I think uh I think my band started going going to Texas a lot, like around 85 and playing with you guys and Poison 13 and stuff. But I remember wandering out into um into like somebody's pasture and, and like jukebox and maybe it was Wade, I don't remember it, but just like that we're re- getting like like magic mushrooms off the piles of cow shit. Uh, I don't recall. Were you involved uh, in that? I, I mean, the statute of limitations is up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, I'm not too worried about that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, normally the stuff that that jukebox, you know, his black market sharing that that was all that was all not. It wasn't lab stuff, but it was grown in a clean barn. So, yeah. Well, that, I mean, I mean, there was that, that was, that was, we took, we took those mushrooms. I can't remember who, like, I can't, I can't remember a lot. I can't remember a lot of being in Austin. <laughs> Let's just put it that way, because Austin was so wild in those days. 
Yeah, well, me too. I love the place. It damn near killed me. So, <laughs> well, are you in San Antonio now? Uh huh. Yeah, I've been back here about twenty years now. Do you remember any um? What was the name of that taco place that was in Santa? Was it Taco Land where we played with? Um, right. Yeah, Taco Land, uh, which occasionally served tacos, but uh, was more of a kind of ice house beer bar. Yeah, I know that place was wild. Um, yeah, you, you know the owner Ram. He was he was murdered in there. In uh, really, five. Yeah. Of a of a drug thing. Or, no, actually, it was the night that Spurs won the championship, won the NBA championship, and uh, when they when the Spurs really started coming to prominence, uh, they were the live music killer. Like nobody wanted to play on nights when when the when the Spurs were in the playoffs because it was all all about the Spurs and. Uh, so he had a couple of bands booked that night and there were these guys that were on a some kind of crack bender crime spree all week but guys that lived there in that neighborhood and uh the bands canceled on him that night he was just there with the doorman and uh his his bartender and uh these guys robbed him for like 60 bucks shot him dead shot his doorman dead shot Wow, that's horrifying. That was fucking awful. Uh, just uh, you know, so 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 senseless, you know. Yeah, that's 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 really a bummer. Well, let's let's um let's go back to some more fun funny stuff. stuff. Some funny stuff. Let's get to the funny stuff. Everybody <laughs> in the audience, everybody out there in podcast land land is going to have to cleanse their palates now. <laughs> Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. 
I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, Looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell ya, I have small ear canals, Uh, I know a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, (laughs) oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business, and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. American Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud, theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. The debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. But the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built hid troubling abuse. Could these teenagers have been driven to kill? Or was it even in self-defense? Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. What do you think? Well, I want I want to find out about like how the um the whole like uh the the cross dressing stuff started because I'm gonna just tell and tell everyone who's listening like I think the first couple of times that I and um you know, my band and stuff experienced their goids was in Austin, but then very quickly after they came out to Hollywood and um, some of them were staying at Tex and the Horseheads house and some of them were staying at Disgraceland and both of those houses were like just kind of around the corner from each other. But um, we were, I don't even know which person in your band started it, but there was, we started having drag races um, up and down my street and probably the street in front of like Texas house. And the oh, drag yeah, race- RuPaul was way late to the game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These drag races were fucking, they were like dumpster dived women's clothes, just horrifying like polyester dresses and shit. And every so often, like a petticoat stolen from Tex or um, my sirens bass player, Laura, or me 
but everyone would be completely fucking fucked up and there'd be like like mike mart would be like making chalk lines on the street and wasn't there something about people's shoelaces being tied together or was i just so fucked up i i you guys were tripping over each other but so they i don't got, really remember that happening but i mean we were wasted of course harvey he was you know harvey would somehow or another fit into one of texas dress harvey uh, was um harvey was texas um husband or serious boyfriend at the time and he was kind of like in and out of jail i'm just saying that for context yeah yeah and and very intimidating looking skinhead dude yeah and really and really kind of like like we would yeah i was gonna say (laughs) you said it for me unhinged he was like he was he could he could change his personality would change really like Jekyll and Hyde and he could be really nice one minute and then the next minute you'd know why he'd been in jail for so long. <laughs> <laughs> but my experience with him was mostly as a sweet dude and he he moved to Austin. After oh, he did in Hollywood, yeah, and, and we we'd hang out and try and write some songs together and uh, but uh, he really he. Man, I I know that by the end of the first time we went out there and we were kind of doing the cross-dressing thing, which I think kind of grew out. We had a side band in uh, in Austin called the Beer Nuts. Uh, oh, yeah, was, I forgot about that. Which, which was, you know, our road manager, Jason, and he and I doing the kind of sunny and sunny, you know, kind of mildly homoerotic. Uh, thing and and uh, and then uh, Trip Mender from Tales of Terror also played guitar in that band, and um, so I it kind of grew out of that. And then we had the song "The Queen of the Barbecue," and I think that's when we really, you know, and we really probably the times we were in LA and we were wearing dresses. That was most of it. Although, you know, Thurston Moore from Sonic Youth, he, he used to come to our shows in New York. And we were with uh, Lori S. Um, and uh, a friend of ours in, from uh, Hoboken. And she had these folks that were making this Super 8 movie of us. Uh, just all these vignettes in New York City. So one thing would be like, we're walking up out of the subway tunnel and Dick's got this suitcase and it pops open and corn falls out of it. And then we're in the, the at walking into the entrance of the Bowery hotel next door to CBGB's. And we paid these guys like five bucks to chase us out of the, you know, out of the flop house there, <laughs> stuff, stuff like that. And then, so then we were doing the, 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 this other bit where we go into this kind of this fancy dress shop that Lori knew somebody that, you know, worked at the dress shop and we walk in and then we walk out, we're all in these dresses, right. You know, like you described polyester, you know, gingham dresses or whatever. And, and Thurston literally, he walked by and he saw us walking out of there in those dresses and he literally does the hand to the side of the face and just keeps on walking. You know, we're all like, Hey Thurston, you know, and he's like, <laughs> like I do not know these motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Okay, well, 
We're going to take a little music musical break. And of course, we're going to listen to the Queen of the Barbecue, which is one of one of you guys' favorite songs of mine. And we'll be right back. What's the matter, little feller? Ain't you never seen a cross-dresser before? Here, here we are again um, with Jeff Smith, the queen of the barbecue, his majesty, Jeff Smith. <laughs> I, I get a queen of bad names, but... Uh, <laughs> queen of bad uh, names. But uh, anyway, so but as I was saying before you aired the song there, that, uh, you, you know, I mean, you're kind of identified as the you know, the cross-dressing thing, but it was a fairly minor feature of, you know, our stage show or whatever. We'd do it every once in a while, but, you know, it just, it was, it was a gag. Yeah, I don't think I ever, like any of the times we saw you or played with you, you weren't really in dresses on stage. It was just like the moment, (laughs) the moment it was off stage. There, there, There was a lot of there was a lot of that going on kind of at the, at the time, but you guys always had the, the best slash worst clothes. And the first time I well, heard by the-, the time we left that one trip, uh, when we were staying at Castle Grayskull, I mean, Harvey and, uh, and, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, he's an editor now. He, the video editor, he does the, 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 America's gangsters. Uh, uh, what's his name? Oh my God, I don't know who you're talking. He, he moved out there from Austin with Poison Thirteen. Uh, his name is escaping me at the moment. But anyway, those guys were fighting over the makeup by the time we left. They were like, <laughs> and I'm sure like, it was wet and wild makeup, like like what Texas. Like, please, please, please. There's enough. There's enough lipstick for everybody. So <laughs> the sickest thing about it though that it was I mean people people hearing this right now might be horrified because that was such a long time ago but um there was there was this was nothing to do with sexuality or sexual identification it was just because it was an insanity and also in those days the term cross dressing was like kind of a, a had been used in the 50s they weren't even calling it that in real life like that person's a cross-dresser like they would say transvestite you know like 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 yeah I, I mean it was you know it was uh yeah it's hard to it's very difficult to even contextualize it now because yeah, yeah. it's such a battleground over uh people's sexual identity and and you know uh the you know the determ self-determination of uh gender classes you know and and i 
you know, I understand all that, but, you know, uh, what we did was uh, in the spirit of fun, and I don't feel like there was anything hateful about it. You oh, know, no. It was, well, I don't think it was rough. hateful either. It was just, it was just like fun. Like in those, in those days, um, so people that are younger that are listening that can understand, there was, you know, once again, I'll say this, there was, there was no cell phones, there was no email, there was no social media, there was, there was nothing. So you could do, you could just do tons of crazy shit all the time. And a lot of times it wasn't even anywhere on the cops radar, even unless you lived in a, in a party house, like I did, that was constantly getting busted, you know, but, but the, the busting was, I mean, you know, it wasn't like drug raids. It was just, they'd see a bunch of girls uh, like drunk off their asses wearing scanty little outfits and nothing ever happened like at Disgraceland or or even I'm sure at like Texas House they would just see wild well, girls. You and know, the, there's uh, I don't even re it's been a while since I've heard the recording but it, contemporarily uh, whenever we do happen to do Queen of the Barbecue I mentioned something that happened at Texas House and one of the breakdowns there and that was so we play we had played several shows around LA that we played Music Machine and Bogarts and uh, you know I don't remember where else but then we played open for uh the butthole surfers at Variety Arts Center oh, that gig was so fucking insane <laughs> uh and uh and so after the show, we went back to Texas house. We had a keg of beer there. We're just, we're just all, you know, pissing our pants, drunk, stomping on the floor, singing to the top of our lungs until the sun came up and we all passed out. And so there was a back bedroom there and myself and my girlfriend and, uh, our um our drummer wade were back there and and so i heard the cops kick the door in and they were throwing stale beer on everybody when they came in and there was it seemed like there was four or six of them that came in and just to harass us nothing else uh and so i i heard them kick the door in and i told my girlfriend we were under a sleeping bag and I was just like just play possum don't don't move until they come in here and then so they come in the room and they're like get up and so get up I obviously didn't want to get shot because I had been harassed by police in Los Angeles previously and so we got up but Wade was still underneath this sleeping bag and the cop is poking him with the nightstick and he's like tell your friend to get up i'm like wait come on get up and he's like i'm not getting up till he quits poking me with that fucking stick and so i'm like wait get up so he gets up and he's got on one of texas dresses like this red lace dress <laughs> and so me and my girlfriend are naked or very <laughs> very minimally dressed i'll put it that way you know and so they got us all on our knees with our hands behind our head by against a long wall in there and they're 
telling us uh, what, you know, uh, I think the key phrase I remember is, this is Los Angeles and we own Los Angeles. Did, you, did, you, did you really, you didn't utter the, the line from the song, right? That ain't no way to treat a lady. <laughs> nah, I, I, uh, the, my smart ass button was not in operation at that hour. So, uh, and I don't think it would have been received very well. But, no, I don't so, think so. So Tex later came to find out that the, her upstairs neighbor there at Castle Grayskull was a was a sheriff's deputy. Oh wow! So, so he just you know he waited till the party was over and then they had their party. So they came in one time to Disgraceland, um, a bunch of cops, and they were drunk. I mean, our our front door was was open as it usually was, wide open, like late at night with a party with my crappy ass, like Sears Roebuck stereo playing like, I don't know, something like the Lime Spiders on repeat or, or something. Right. Um, and they came in and they started saying like, where's the drugs, where's the drugs? And like, we we, we never could afford drugs unless somebody brought them over. Do you know what I mean? It was, it was usually yeah. like fucking like Lucky Lager or whatever we could afford, you know? And um, so they that those cops were actually like reeking, like they had just come out of, you know, like a a bender. And um, finally, like I yelled at them, like they they were about to knock over my stereo, which was just trash anyway. But I couldn't afford that kind of trash to replace it. <laughs> it wasn't even a stereo; it was a record player from from you right. know what I mean. But then I started getting all mad, and I was like screaming at them, and then um. Another time, this was on, uh, I think this, there was two times right right near Christmas um, when our place got busted and Jukebox was there. I don't know if you were there and I can't even remember if some of the other guys in the band um, were there when we were in the middle of, everyone was like either frying on acid or on mushrooms that somebody had. It was probably mushrooms because it was probably from Jukebox. Um, and uh, there was a knock at the door and it was, and this wasn't the cops. We thought it was the cops, but it was the fucking legendary Stardust Cowboy. Like the real, wow. I know. And, and I was like in the, and oh, I was, <laughs> I was, I was supervising, you know, those, those coloring books that you can get or you used to be able to get that had, would have dots on them. And if you painted them with water, they would turn a different color, like they would turn blue or red or green, made for kids. Do you remember those? I don't remember those. Okay, well, it was yeah, just- That sounds like something fun to do on psychedelic drugs. Well, yeah, but I mean, I was sending I was sending boys into the bathroom at the space end with copies of Playboy or Hustler that we had found in the garbage and, and pages from, <laughs> from, from the coding book to see what-, what <laughs> To see what color their cum would make the pages. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did just say this for posterity on my podcast. <laughs> anyway, yes, and so in the middle of that, when everyone was tripping their their brains out doing that, that that was when like the, someone knocked on the door, and I was like, "Oh my god, if this is the cops!" But uh, they said. There's a guy out here that wants to talk to you. And I was like, well, who, what does he look like? And they're like, he said his name is the legendary Stardust Cowboy. And I didn't <laughs> believe them that it was him, but it really was him. 
I don't know how the fuck he found this gravesite. He said he walked there. Well, why would anybody pretend to be the legendary Stardust Cowboy? I, mean, I know, no, I know that. No, it was, it was, it was really him. But I mean, like people, you guys, if you're, um, I'll, I'll, I'll stick this in as one of the tracks. I'll stick in "Paralyzed" by the legendary Stardust Cowboy in case some of the listeners don't know about. Yeah, about that's, him. That's a great tune. Uh, my Paralyzed. friend Jim Hanaway, who passed away a few years ago, used to put out his records on Amazing Records. Oh, he uh, did. Yeah. What do you think that the wildest show you ever played was, Jeff? Where do you have any recollections? Did like did you ever play with Tales of Terror? Like because they were they were they were touring. Yeah, we played a, quite a few shows with them. They were they were definitely very over the top. Uh, you know, the Woodshock shows were a couple of years running. Those were very wild shows out uh, uh, Dripping Springs outside of Austin in mid eighties. Uh, you know, eighty four, eighty five, eighty six. Did I? Did we ever play on one of those? I don't even remember. You guys never played one of them. Uh, I used to. Uh, I was a co-promoter of that with uh, with uh, Mike Alvarez, who lives out in Hollywood. Actually, uh, he was part of the Texas Exodus with uh, the Junkyard Guys and uh, some other folks that ended up out there. So. Oh yeah, everyone came out there at. Or it came out here. I mean, at one, at one time, it seemed like Poison that. Thirteen and, and uh, Poison Thirteen wound up staying at um at the Graceland one time for like six weeks because their van was broken down in our driveway, and they were I mean they were playing around all over the place anyway. Yeah, well, Tales of Terror did the same thing to us, so we sent we sent you Poison Thirteen. <laughs> <laughs> we we loved poison you you guys um and poison 13 were our favorite favorite bands to play of of anywhere that we that we've been playing you know like we we loved going to austin we used to call it because also a lot you know because because my band was all girls we all had like different boyfriends in different places or wound up like you know meeting someone in some place and then importing them to la or something but we Austin was our favorite place, and uh, Laura and I used to call it. I have to back away from the microphone. We used to call it oh, oh, Austin. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I know. I remember one time. One time we had um, potato. That, had uh, just as a quick aside, that reminds me of this this friend of mine. Uh, she she like told this guy that this other musician friend she told him that she would love him forever because he faked an orgasm he faked an orgasm <laughs> i don't think he spit on her back or anything but you know <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. that's a clever move um, that is a clever move. I'm surprised more men haven't. Well, I don't know. Maybe maybe I've been fooled quite a few times that I didn't know. <laughs> oh my god! But, but I'm sorry. Uh, sorry to interrupt you. No, that's okay. I, don't... I, I didn't want. I didn't want to lose the moment. I don't know. Ah, ah, Austin. So I I remember um some of the most insane 
parties like at Austin at, at um Poison 13's house or at um I don't even know there was there was one at somebody's house and I remember I think it was after um you guys and and the sirens we played at the beach it was, right. it was some, which I can barely remember that gig I remember I remember like the stage was higher than I thought it was going to be and stuff but like and then we were all getting wasted at someone's house that had really nice old school green linoleum floors. And there was like this big giant vat of punch. And I kept drinking it because I I didn't want to be hung because over. Because you were thirsty? <laughs> what? Because you were thirsty? No, 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 no. I, no. I didn't know that the punch had, I didn't know that the punch had like acid in it. Or no, it didn't have acid. It had Everclear in it. Right, because uh, yeah. you can't taste Everclear, and you can't, you still can't get it legally in California. So I was just drinking it because I didn't want to be drinking beer because I, I was already had gotten so drunk at the gig. I didn't want to be hung over in the van for a really long, long time, and that was like one of the few times I thought I was abstaining. But um, <laughs> then, then I got up to go to the bathroom because I'd been sitting at this table just sipping punch and. I stood up and I fell over like a sack of potatoes. And everyone's like, wow, you're really fucked up, aren't you? And I was like, no, I'm sober. And they're like, how can you be sober? You've had like six cups of that punch. And I was like, so? And then they they told me about Everclear. <laughs> and we'd never even heard of it. And so then like when we were leaving, leaving Texas the next day, um, two things happened. One was we... Um, we immediately stopped to get Everclear, and it still had the label, <laughs> and it still had the label from the 1930s on it that was kind of like right. flat, and it had a corn on it, and it also said right on the front of it, flammable. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was one thing, and then the other thing happened in New Mexico when, um, like, our roadie. And we had we had this bed that was it wasn't really a bed it was like amps all of our amps with a bunch of moving blankets was, on top of did, it. Did was Beefy's y'all's roadie? No, it was usually Baby Marcy's husband. Um, and then we had wait, oh, right. who did we have? We had um, we had a guy named Ronnie that we picked up in San in uh, Sacramento that we met from Tales of Terror. And um, anyway, Ronnie was with us that time and um. Ronnie was younger than us and we used to call him our Ronnie as though we were like, like, you know, June Cleaver and he was our son because he looked so young and clean cut, but he was insane. Anyway, we had gotten, we'd left Austin and we were like already in New Mexico or something. And um, we pulled over and our Ronnie like rose up from the back of the amps. And um, then all of a sudden this blonde headed girl did too. In this little cute, like, <laughs> like checkered, like cowgirl dress, and she got out of the van, and she looked like she was twelve. And I was like, "Where did you come from? What's your name?" <laughs> and she, she was at that Everclear party, and she's like, "Oh, hi, I'm blah 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 blah." And I was like, "How old are you?" And she was like, "I'm 16." And I was like, and I marched her to the phone booth, and I was like, "We're calling your mom right now," you know. And we called her mom, collect, and her mom got all worried, but I was like, "Hi." You don't know me, but this is pleasant from the screaming sirens. And I didn't meet your daughter in Texas, but somehow um, she was hiding underneath our roadie. <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't say that. I said somehow she wound up in our band van, and then the, the there was silence on the phone, and I said we're an all-girl band. But 
we're on our way back to LA and I'm going to drop her off at your house. What's your address? I just didn't want, like I had visions of getting arrested for the man act or something because God only <laughs> fucking knows what was in our van or like, I mean, <laughs> we would get pulled over sometimes and the whole fucking floor would be like littered with cowboy boots and empty beer cans and like bottles of Everclear and like there was like fishnets hanging from the ceiling it was it was fucked up like yeah uh, uh, I was talking with uh Peter Davis who used to uh have your flesh magazine or I guess still has some online presence with that but he was telling me about when the you men out of Seattle you ever see those guys yeah 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 great band but they had this they had this school bus and they had like a roadkill count on, on the inside of it. It's like nine raccoon, this and that. They they wore, they had a really unusual look. Like they wear uh, black bicycle pants and top hats and, and generally all black, you know, and they were real pale guys because they were from Seattle. And, and so they got pulled over in Houston on the freeway. And so Peter's telling me that this uh, this cop gets on the bus and he looks at them and then he looks at the roadkill count. Is like, what the fuck we got here? The Manson family? <laughs> oh Getting pulled over back then was fun. It was uh, yeah, it was scary. You never knew what you're gonna get. We got <laughs> the cops. Actually, we got, got that too, though. What's that? I said the cops probably thought that too. <laughs> we got pulled over. Actually, we were leaving. You might remember Kathy Cowgirl. Yeah. From Houston. We got, we played in Houston. It was Halloween weekend. And I think we played Houston on the Friday night. And uh, we were playing in Dallas on Saturday night. And so we were had a party at her house. And then we, all decided to drop some more acid about five in the morning. And then we were like, let's just drive on to the show. And so we're in this flower delivery van that Richard had from work. And it had, a, we were all, we had bales of hay to sit on. And <laughs> uh, there were no seats in the back. And we were, all of us were kind of making our living selling paper at that point in time and so we had some you know three or four hundred pieces of this item and like not really hidden in a in a thing in, in a little suitcase and and so they were just in an exterior pocket so we get pulled over by this this small town cop got one shirt tail hanging out you know just and and he pulled us over for davy not wearing a seat belt we're all drunk there's you know a half a case of beer cans empties on the floor we got a case on ice and so he he gets us all out of the van and makes us pull all the equipment out he acts like he's inspecting everything nearly puts his hand right on this acid right and we're like oh fuck you know and and then he decides you know he just writes davy a ticket for not having the seat belt and and uh, says, okay, you can load your stuff up and go. And he points at Bella Hay. He says, if that's all the grass you boys got, you're okay with me. <laughs> that's really good. The grass you got. 
Wait, what was the acid in? Or what was it on? And was it was it like just like- it was just it was like in the outside pocket of like some little overnight bag or something. Oh my but god. It wasn't, but it wasn't hidden, you know. It was yeah, it wasn't like concealed like it was drugs. It could have been like someone's notepad or something. Right. Oh my god. But like the man said, I'd rather be lucky than good. So um. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's a that's a that's a good thing. I we've been, we have been lucky. I think we got to take a break now again for for a little bit of music. Okay, I'm back with Jeff Smith. We're telling horrifying stories of uh, how easy it was to be out of your minds in the on tour in the 80s. <laughs> we were unsupervised. Talking true tales of the old west. <laughs> That's true. Pioneer, pioneer times. <laughs> Death Valley days. Yeah. Um. Well, where where are you coming or and or going on this tour now? And when does it start and all this stuff? Because the people that uh, hear this expediently will be able to come to your shows. The people that listen to it later, that's their problem. That's right. So it pays to listen every day to the latest podcast. <laughs> it's not every oh, day, but yeah, whenever speak. it comes out so you can find out yeah. where the hit points are. <laughs> uh, so uh, this tour starts... Uh, Thursday, February 2nd, Dallas, uh, at Three Links, uh, the Friday night, we're playing Amarillo at Leftwoods. Uh, Saturday night, we're going to be in Santa Fe or Albuquerque. Uh, Sunday, we're, uh, we're in Flagstaff. Uh, the Monday, we're in Vegas. We're playing a casino there. Wow, really? What, That's what? how long we've been around. Is we're we can actually play at a casino now, <laughs> but we're, we're not obviously we're not playing in a big showroom or anything. Uh, but uh, and then uh, Monday, uh, Tuesday, we're in uh, Pacifica, uh, up in the Bay Area, uh, Winter's Tavern. Tuesday, we're in Santa Cruz if it hasn't washed away. Uh, I know everything's washing away out here right now because uh, we're recording it. Tuesday, the 7th, I believe, at uh, Moe's Alley in Santa Cruz. And then pick up our day, our uh, Los Angeles area dates. We're playing Thursday the 9th at Alex's Bar in Long Beach. And then at the Redwood Tavern downtown, right? Right on Friday the 10th, and then back uh, in Tarzana at uh, the Maui Sugar Mill on Saturday the 11th. And oh, it's a it's a whole whole tour. That's that's it's a giant long tour, like old school. 
yeah, well, I wouldn't say it's a giant long tour, but you but, know. But you're an but aging, it, aging man. It's okay for for old man getting in the van, you know. So and uh, and you can fake but, some orgasms across America. Yeah. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> yeah. All right. I might just smoke a cigarette and say I didn't I, when I didn't. So. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> but uh. But uh. And uh. And then we're playing uh the Ha Bar in Yucca Valley on that Sunday. The what? The the Ah Bar. Ah Bar. Yeah, like. Awesome. Oh, A U, like like French. A W E. Oh, oh, ah, like awesome. Um, do you have any? Do you have any new um music coming out, or am I like hopelessly uninformed at this point? Or um, um, the simple answer is no. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, this but we've got stuff in various stages of um near completion but uh but this isn't not a, a, a an album tour or anything it's I mean, just just get in the van and go you know more kind of deal that's fun i i miss that kind of touring but because when i started touring for dance that was by myself and it was like in a lot of planes and it was never sequential like rock and roll touring where you you would be with like a you know your band and have in jokes and stuff right. like that. I would just be by myself and then it would be like you know Beaumont Texas like London UK then like northern northwestern Canada and then like Australia you know what I mean like I felt like I was losing my IQ more than rock and roll tours and, but I was completely sober which I definitely was not <laughs> in the rock and roll tours right well yeah and we're you know uh we're uh 60% sober um in my band uh now so uh yeah it's obviously very different but that's we still uh I think we carry a high level of musicianship and uh showmanship and uh, of course your reverent sense of humor so um yeah you're just insane anyway so I I almost think like everybody that that we know from those days that was crazy and it, and it's still around even if they're sober they're still insane because that was why we all liked each other right well and I, i've told people before that uh you know i used to think the most important thing about being in a band was being on drugs and now i know that the most important thing is acting like you're on drugs so <laughs> acting like you're on drugs that's really good and in my case it's not really an act you know but so um but it's uh, yeah i know (laughs) so but uh you know and but you know i I, but you know the comrade the camaraderie and the inside jokes you know it's uh it's it is uh in some sense uh for rock and roll lifers who you know, have never been famous, have uh, very minimal hope of even, uh, you know, making a living at it at this point, you know, and, and you know, the 
the money is what it is. It's 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 the same as it was in the eighties. You know, for for bands on my level, you know, and uh, that's okay. We're reconciled to that, you know. But uh, it's our it's our sense of humor that's uh, uh, you know perpetuated us as a people, you know, as a as a band, you know. And uh, well, so. yeah, your, your sense of humor is great. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure you were almost exactly this skewed before you started taking drugs i mean or 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 any substances like it's just written all over you okay you were, you were already nuts it was clear Every, everybody in your band was right well and uh it is of course all new faces with the exception of myself uh everybody from the first album from we're in it for the porn is the departed um yeah i was gonna ask you about that but i didn't know yeah uh jukebox passed away about eight years ago davy i guess it'll be eight years this coming year that davy's been gone uh richard hayes died in 2001 and his brother arthur passed away two so wade wade is still here right yeah wade's still alive he's uh living out in abilene now is, is he playing with you no he's not oh uh, so it's all all new hickory people yeah but actually this is uh this is actually the longest running edition of the band uh this band the, the current version of the band has been uh, or at least four of us since 2014. I mean, we've probably done uh, 400 shows in that amount of time. You know? Wow, that's that's really cool. So you guys have to see the Hickoids if they're coming through your town. And I highly, highly recommend it. Their songs are insane if you don't already know them. And if you do know them, their songs are better when they're live because Jeff is fantastic on stage, even though sometimes they are better when they're live. Yeah, they're totally better. I mean, every everyone's better when they're live, even if it's a train wreck, because it's that energy. You know what I mean? Right. That's like always been my favorite thing about rock and roll. Like, you could you could go into any club, and you and it could be the best show that you ever saw. And then if you heard like the board mix a few days later, you then only then do you notice like if there was sour notes or like feedback that wasn't supposed to be there or something, because it's all about like the live fucking yeah, a, a, rock and roll, a rock and roll show in a nightclub. I mean, you know, I enjoy playing shitty nightclubs. Yeah. Because I, I believe that's where the magic happens. And that is where everybody, you know, has the chance the opportunity to transcend, you know, the music business and everything else. It's, uh, you know, the, the shittiest band in the world can be the greatest band for one night. That's, a, that's great. Because I've seen it happen a lot of times, you know. I mean, you know, bands that I wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't need it the church lady i'd go burn her fucking records myself you know i mean but <laughs> hey they were on fire 
they were on fire that night, man. You know, I mean, it's undeniable, you know, I mean, so it's, you know, and, and, but you know, the, the magic, I, I think that, you know, you still see the magic truly happen in nightclubs, you know? No, yeah, I, I agree with you totally. Very, very much. Um, is there anything else that you would like to say to our esteemed audience? Anything else that you're, anything you've discovered fun that you want to talk about or did I not ask you any like um, good questions? Well, I don't think uh, there's too much, you know, I mean, uh, it's been busy uh, down this way. I uh, recently uh, opened a corn pound. A uh, corn pound? <laughs> yeah. For your own uh, cult, your your cult of corn. Yeah, uh, yes, the Ministry of Corn. Uh, but uh, it's a little uh, facility down here in San Antonio. I got a recording studio and some rehearsal spaces and a record store, and uh, you know, so it's it's a magical place full of fascinating people, including myself. Uh, but <laughs> right now we've got it and. Uh, you know, and uh, still doing my record label, Sauce Text Records, which this year is the 20th anniversary of the label. It's 20 and, years uh, now? Wow. Yeah. That's so amazing. And, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, uh, this, you know, this is my life in one form or another. And, uh, you know, and uh, I'm always happy to see the other lifers like yourself out there, you know. Did you ever think that you'd still be like doing stuff like this at, at your age or at my age? Like, I, I don't even feel like I get shocked when I realize I'm going to be 64 pretty like at the time of this recording in like a month and a half or something. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, it just seems like yeah, hilarious. I, I just, I just turned 59 and, uh, it's odd, you know, I mean, I never, when I was, 17 uh i you know i never i never gave a second thought to what i was gonna do when i was 25 or when i was 30 and probably most people didn't think i was gonna make it to that age you know and then uh um you know i'd never really my 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 actions at any given point in time were never really predicated on what I thought the future would be or should be, you know. Uh, um, having said that, though, if I could go back in time, which you can, of course, uh, there's no technology allowing that at the moment, but I uh, actually worked a lot harder at music than I did, you know. I mean, it was all about getting loaded and chasing girls to me, you know, but I, I didn't really think that punk rock would be as enduring as it has been um, really you know it's weird I, re I remember um i was i was telling my mom because she was she was you know she was like disgusted that i was into all all punk rock stuff and you know i was never in school but i was always reading shit and i was like mom you don't understand this is like paris in the 20s or you know like like the beats 
you know, the beats and like the East Village and, 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 um, or like, or like hippies, this is going to be around for a really long time. And she completely didn't believe me. She thought it was like, quote, quote, a phase. And I was like, no, watch. But then I was so shocked that here it is, like, uh, you know, 45 years later. <laughs> well, yeah, I just, I mean, but I guess my point was really that I didn't think that punk rock would have the continuing cultural resonance that it does, uh, you know, beyond, say, the beats, you know, or no, whatever. No, I, I agree with you because it's just like, it. I mean. Because when we were, you know, when we were teenagers or whatever, they didn't even use Motown on commercials. I mean, I know. It, was, it was jingles, you know, and now you, it's, it's Iggy and the Ramones. The Cramps. And it's like, you know, and, uh, you know, there's a certain percentage of people out there that say, uh, well, that's just wrong. You know, I mean, how can they do that? And it's like, you know, to me, as long as they're not changing the words to the songs in the commercial, I don't really have that much problem with it. I, I you know, uh, I like to see my heroes get paid. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, why shouldn't they make some money finally after years and years and years of touring? I mean, I'm sure some of them had, like, good record sales and stuff. But, I mean, you know, like, those those people that are complaining about it were probably mostly never in bands. Like, they didn't. Right. Um, you know, and, hell, Iggy, you know, I mean, you know, his, he didn't ever really become the rock star that people always that his fans always knew that he was until his songs were in commercials exactly you know and i mean at the end of the 90s and at the turn of the century uh you you saw you know lust for life obviously getting used in a lot of commercials but then you know uh it and you know, and then there was a train spotting soundtrack and all that. And that's really when the festival thing started blowing up too. And he had a chance for uh, you know, to play in front of 30, 40, 50,000 people on a on a fairly regular basis. And he did not waste the opportunity at all, you know, and good on him because he's somebody, you know, who was so far, you know. I'm hasn't say so far ahead of his time, but it was the, public was, the public was not ready for him. The, the general know, public was not ready. He, he, was, he was he was his own gateway drug, you know. I mean, <laughs> right. but it took it took other imitators becoming popular before he was really allowed to have his stage, but I think he really recognized that point in time and, you know, and he went for the throat. So props to him. Yeah, that was good. I know that, I mean, that, that was like, that was a really, that was a very happy rock and roll moment. I didn't think any of that was selling out. I mean, I did think that I may have been having a flashback the first time I heard less for life on like a car commercial or whatever the fuck it was. And then when I realized uh, it, was real i was like whoa <laughs> that's like you know that was cool well i mean maybe 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 it'll happen to you someday 
What song? If you could have a song it. on a commercial, what song would it be? We'll, we'll end with, we'll wrap up with that. <laughs> I could have a song on a commercial. Um, wow, I don't, I don't, I don't know that. Um, that none of them are suitable. That, I don't know that they run commercials for any of what we're selling. So, um, <laughs> but you know, the world is changing every day. Maybe you could have your own station or a ministry when you're done with rock and roll. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 you know, I've, I've, I've flirted with having a cult, so, you know. I know, uh, me too. Uh, if you, if you yeah. ever need a lady cult leader or someone to wear like horrifying long eyelashes, you know who to call. <laughs> okay, maybe maybe you'll, you'll, you'll be my hype lady. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> well, hey, I look forward to seeing you out that way. And uh, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, yeah, it was great to talk to you. So um, anyway, you guys, that was Jeff Smith of the Hickoids. He's amazing. I hope you get to see um, one or more of their shows. And if you don't, you got to hear their records because they're just fucking corntastic. Anyway, this is Pleasant. And you've been listening to, to the Devil's Music. And I will hit you guys back next time. <laughs> If you go to Tijuana, don't you smoke no marijuana? Might be lace of heroin or PCP. Be a good Americano, don't you mess with Mexicanos? Your poor honey's gonna miss ya if you go across the desert valley. Took a cab to Mexicali. The Devil's Music is written and hosted by Pleasant Gaiman. Produced by Aaron Alden. All sound design by Jerry Danielson of Busy Signal Studios. And of course, is part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Find all of our shows at pantheonpodcasts.com. Our social presence is at Pantheon Podcasts on Facebook and Instagram. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods. All songs can be found wherever you get great music. Please pick up these important and fantastic tracks. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, 
and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.